0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed, journalists, independent investigators, people like that, disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous, crimes he was polygraphed three times each of those three showed evasions. Well, The resumes were a skeleton of truth he was mad at the world and particularly mad at the government the study that he commissioned it described a fictional terrorist attack if people have died over this means you're getting close to the truth you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say what the fuck Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, leave me some feedback on what you think about the show, and rate it as well. Now on to the show. This week we'll be talking about the Shadow Brokers. Now, in 2016, a mysterious person, or a group of hackers, revealed how big a threat cybercrime can be. Calling themselves the Shadow Brokers, the hackers released more than a gigabyte worth of highly sensitive tools allegedly belonging to the American National Security Agency, NSA, Tailored Access Operations, Tau Unit, the Equation Group. The capabilities exhibited in the Shadow Brokers' hack were never heard of before, and the leaked cachet of exploits were so powerful that the group became immediately infamous. The Shadow Brokers were not only able to gain access to the NSA's toolbox, but they also managed to steal information about its modus operandi including a list of agents' names and a code for hacking into Middle Eastern banks linked to the NSA's attack against financial institutions in the area. Surprisingly, however, as far as we know, the shadow brokers never used the stolen data in any kind of cyber attack. Instead, they sold it to the highest bidder and created a monthly subscription service, a rather strange behavior for a hacker group of this sophistication. Now we're going to get into the names and the alias of this group. Several news sources noted that the group's name was likely in reference to a character from the Mass Effect video game series, Matt Sushi quoted the following description of that character, quote, The Shadow Broker is an individual at the head of an expansive organisation which trades in information, always selling to the highest bidder. The Shadow Broker appears to be highly competent at its trade. All secrets that are bought and sold never allow one customer of the broker to gain a significant advantage, forcing the customers to continue trading information to avoid becoming disadvantaged, allowing the broker to remain in business. End quote. Now we're going to get into the leak history. So we have the first leak, equation group, cyber weapons auction invitation. While the exact date is unclear, reports suggest that the preparation of the leak started at least in the beginning of August and that the initial publication occurred August 13th of 2016 with a tweet from a Twitter account, at Shadow Brokers, announcing a pastebin page in a GitHub repository containing references and instructions for obtaining and decrypting the content of a file supposedly containing tools and exploits used by the equation group. The payspin introduces a section titled Equation Group Cyber Weapons Auction Invitation with the following content. Equation Group Cyber Chase Weapons Auction Invitation Attention Government Sponsors of Cyber Warfare and those who profit from it. How much you pay for enemies' cyber weapons, not malware you find in networks. Both sides RAT plus LP Full State Sponsor Toolset. We find cyber weapons made by creators of Stuxnik, doq Flame, Kaspersky, Equation Group. We follow equation group traffic we find equation group source range we hack equation group we find many many equation group cyber weapons you see pictures we give you some equation group files free you see this good proof no you enjoy you break many things you find many intrusions you write many words but not all we are auction the best files End quote. The pastebin includes various references for obtaining the file named eqgrp auction This zip file contains seven files, two of which are the GPG encrypted archives, and I'm gonna really butcher these really weird names: eqgrp auction file.tar.xz.gpg and eqgrp free the eqgrpfreefile.tar.xz.gpg archives password was revealed in the original pastebin to be the equation group, or one word. The eqgrp auctionfile.tar.xz archives password was revealed in a later Medium post. The pastebin continues with instructions for obtaining the password to the encrypted auction file. Auction Instructions We auction best files to highest bidder. Auction files better than Stuxnet. Auction files better than free files we already give you. The party which sends most bitcoins before bidding stops is winner. We tell how to decrypt. Very important. When you send bitcoin, you add additional output to transaction. You add op underscore return output. In op underscore return output, you put your bidder contact info. We suggest use bitmessage or i 2 p bot email address. No other information. Information will be disclosed by us publicly. Do not believe unsigned messengers. We will contact Winner with decryption instructions. Winner can do with files as they please. We not release files to public. End quote. The initial response to the publication was met with some skepticism as to whether or not the content actually would be. Many, many equation group cyberweapons. Then we come to the second leak, message five trick-or-treat. This publication, made on October 31st of 2016, contains a list of servers supposedly compromised by Equation Group, as well as references to seven supposedly undisclosed tools, dewdrop incision, jack ladder, orangutan, pachillon, rectulum, sidetrack, and stoic surgeon, also used by the threat actor. Then we have the third leak, message six black friday slash cyber monday sale message six reads as follows the shadow brokers is trying auction people's no like the shadow brokers is try crowdfunding people is no liking now the shadow brokers is trying direct sales be checking out list of worries. if you like you email the shadow brokers with names of worries you might make you want make purchase the shadow brokers is emailing you back bitcoin address you make payment the shadow brokers emailing you link plus decryption password if not liking this transaction method you finding the shadow brokers on underground marketplaces and making transaction with escrow files as always being signed end quote this leak contained 60 folders named in a way to serve as reference to tools likely used by Equation Group. The leak didn't contain executable files, but rather screenshots of the tool's file structure. While the leak could have been a fake, the overall cohesion between previous and future leaks and references, as well as the work required to fake such a fabrication, gave credibility to the theory that the referenced tools were genuine. Then we have the fourth leak, Don't Forget Your Base. On April 8th of 2017, the Medium account used by the Shadow Brokers posted a new update. The post revealed the password to encrypted files released the previous year. Those files allegedly revealed more NSA hacking tools. This posting explicitly stated that the post was partially in response to President Trump's attack against an Assyrian airfield, which was also used by Russian forces. The decrypted file EQGRP auction file contained a collection of tools primarily for compromising Linux, Unix based environments. Then we have the fifth leak. Lost in translation. On April 14th of 2017, the Twitter account used by the Shadow Brokers posted a tweet with a link to the Steam blockchain. Here in a message with a link to the leaked files encrypted with the password r e e e e e e e e e e e e e e e. The overall content is based around three fold oddjob swift and windows the fifth leak was suggested at the time to be the most damaging release yet and cnn quoted matthew hickey as saying this is quite possibly the most damaging thing i've seen in the last several years End quote the leak includes amongst other things the tools and exploits codenamed named Odd Job, oddjob fuzz bunch dark pulsar eternal synergy eternal romance eternal blue exploding can and ewok frenzy some of the exploits targeting the Windows operating system had been patched in a Microsoft Security Bulletin on March 14th of 2017, one month before the leak occurred. Some speculated that Microsoft may have been tipped off about the release of the exploits. Now we're going to get into what Eternal Blue is. Over 20,000 machines were infected with tools from this leak within the first two weeks, and in May of 2017, the major WannaCry ransomware attack used the Eternal Blue exploit on server message block SMB to spread itself. The exploit also used to carry out the 2017 Petya cyber attack on June 27th of 2017. Eternal Blue contains kernel shellcode code to load the non-persistent double pulsar backdoor. This allows for the installation of the pedal cheap payload which would have been accessed. By the attacker using the Dandesprit Listening Post LP software. Now, Eternal Blue is a computer exploit developed by the U.S. National Security Agency (NSA). It was leaked by the Shadow Brokers hacker group on April 14th of 2017, one month after Microsoft released patches for this vulnerability. On May 12th of 2017, the worldwide WannaCry ransomware used this exploit to attack unpatched computers. On June 27th of 2017, the exploit was used again to help carry out the 2017 NotPetya cyber attack on more unpatched computers. The the exploit was also reported to have been used since March 2016 by the Chinese hacking group Buckeye APT3 after they likely found and repurposed the tool as well as reported to have been used as part of the Retifee banking Trojan since at least the September 5th of 2017. Eternal Blue was among several exploits used in conjunction with the Double Pulsar Backdoor Implant Tool. External Blue exploits a vulnerability in Microsoft's implementation of the server message block SMB protocol. This vulnerability is denoted by entry CVE-2017-0144 in the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposures CVE catalog. The vulnerability exists because the SBV version 1, SMBV1 server in various versions of Microsoft Windows mishandles specially crafted packets from remote attackers, allowing them to remotely execute code on the target computer. The NSA did not alert Microsoft about the vulnerabilities and held on to it for more than five years before the breach forced its hand. The agency then warned Microsoft after learning about Eternal Blue's possible theft, allowing the company to prepare a software patch issued in March of 2017, after delaying its regular release of security patches in February of 2017. On Tuesday, March 14th of 2017, Microsoft issued security bulletin MS-17-010, which detailed the flaw and announced that patches had been released for all Windows versions that were currently supported at that time, these being Windows Vista, Windows 7, Windows 8.1, Windows 10, Windows Server 2008, Windows Server 2012, and Windows Server 2016. Many Windows users had not installed the patches then. Two months later, on May 12th of 2017, as I said before, the WannaCry and Ransomware attack used the Eternal Blue vulnerability to spread itself. The next day, May 13th of 2017, Microsoft released emergency security patches for the unsupported Windows XP, Windows 8, and Windows Server 2003. In February of 2018, Eternal Blue was ported to all Windows operating systems since Windows 2000 by RiskSense security researcher Sean Dillon. Eternal Champion and Eternal Romance, two other exploits originally developed by the NSA and leaked by the Shadow Brokers, were also ported at the same event. They were also made available as open-sourced Metasploit modules. At the end of 2018, millions of systems were still vulnerable to Eternal Blue. This has led to millions of dollars in damages, due primarily to ransomware worms. Following the massive impact of WannaCry, both NotPitcher and Bad Rabbit caused over $1 billion worth of damages in over 65 countries, using Eternal Blue as either an initial compromise vector or as a method of lateral movement. In May of 2019, the city of Baltimore struggled with a cyber attack by digital extortionists. The attack froze thousands of computers, shut down email, and distributed real estate sales, water bills, health alerts, and many other services. Nicole Paleroth writing for the New York Times, initially attributed this attack to Eternal Blue. In a memoir published in February of 2021, Perleroth clarified that Eternal Blue had not been responsible for the Baltimore cyber attack, while criticizing others for pointing out the technical detail that in this particular case, the ransomware attack had not spread with Eternal Blue. End quote. Since 2012, four Baltimore City chief information officers have been fired or have resigned, two left while under investigation. Some security researchers said that the responsibility for the Baltimore breach lay with the city for not updating their computers. Security consultant Rob Graham wrote in a tweet, quote, if an organization has substantial numbers of Windows machines that have gone two years without patches, then that's squarely the fault of the organization, not Eternal Blue, end quote then we get into the responsibility side of things. According to Microsoft, it was the United States NSA that was responsible because of its controversial strategy of not disclosing but stockpiling vulnerabilities. The strategy prevented Microsoft from knowing of and subsequently patching this bug and presumably other hidden bugs. However, several commentators, including Alex Abdu of Columbia University's Knight First Amendment Institute, have criticized Microsoft for shifting the blame to the NSA, arguing that it should be held responsible for releasing a defective product in the same way a car manufacturer might be. The company was false for initially restricting the release of its Eternal Blue patch to recent Windows users and customers of its $1,000 per device extended support contracts, a move that left organizations such as the UK's NHS vulnerable to the WannaCry attack. A month after the patch was first released, Microsoft took the rare step of making it available for free to users of all vulnerable Windows editions dating back to Windows XP. Then we get into Eternal Rocks. Now, Eternal Rocks, or Microbot Massive Net, is a computer worm that infects Microsoft Windows. It uses seven exploits developed by the NSA. Comparatively, the WannaCry ransomware program that affected 230,000 computers in May of 2017 only uses two NXA exploits, making researchers believe Eternal Rocks to be significantly more dangerous. The worm was discovered via a honeypot. Eternal Rocks first installs Tor, a private network that conceals internet activity to access its hidden servers. After a brief 24-hour incubation period, the server then responds to the malware request by downloading a self-replicating on the host machine. The malware even names itself WannaCry to avoid detection from security researchers. Unlike WannaCry, Eternal Rocks does not possess a skill switch and is not ransomware. Now we're going to get into the equation group. So The Equation Group, classified as an advanced persistent threat, is a highly sophisticated threat actor suspected of being tied to the tailored access operations unit of the United States National Security Agency. Kaparsky Labs describes them as one of the most sophisticated cyber attack groups in the world, and the most advanced we have seen. Operating alongside the creators of Stutniks Stutniks and Flame, most of their targets have been Iran, Russia, Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, Syria, and Mali. The name originated from the group's extensive use of encryption. By 2015, Kaspersky documented 500 malware infections by the group in at least 42 countries, while acknowledging that the actual number could be in the tens of thousands due to its self-terminating protocol. In 2017, Wikileaks published a discussion held within the CIA on how it had been possible to identify the group. One commentator wrote that the equation group, as labelled in the report, does not relate to a specific group, but rather a collection of tools used for hacking. At the Kaspersky Security Analyst Summit held in Mexico on February 16th of 2015, Kaspersky Lab announced its discovery of the Equation Group. According to Kaspersky Lab's report, the group had been active since at least 2001 with more than 60 actors. The malware used in their operations, dubbed Equation Drug and Grayfish, is found to be capable of reprogramming hard disk drive firmware. Because of the advanced techniques involved and high degree of covertness, the group is suspected of ties to the NSA, but capacity Ski Lab has not identified the actors behind the group. In 2015, Kapasky's research findings on the Equation Group noted that its loader, Greyfish, had similarities to a previously discovered loader gauze from another attack series and separately noted that the Equation Group used two zero-day attacks later used in Stuxnet. The researchers concluded that the similar type of usage of both exploits together in different computer worms at around the same time indicates that the Equation Group and the Stuxnet Stuxnet developers are either the same or working closely together. They also identified that the platform had at times been spread by interdiction, interception of legitimate CDs sent by a scientific conference organiser by mail, and that the platform had the unprecedented ability to infect and be transmitted through the hard drive firmware of several major hard drive manufacturers, and create and use hidden disk areas and virtual disk systems for its purposes, a feat which would require access to the manufacturer's source code to achieve, and that the tool was designed for surgical precision, going so far as to Exclude specific countries by IP and allowing targeting of specific usernames on discussion forums. The NSA code words Stratasid and Straight Shooter have been found inside the malware. In addition, timestamps in the malware seem to indicate that the programmers worked overwhelmingly Monday to Friday in what would correspond to a 0800 to 1700 or 8am to 5pm workday in an Eastern United States time zone. Now, Kapaski's Global Research and Analysis Team, otherwise known as GREAT, claimed to have found a piece of malware that contained Stuxnet's PrivLib in 2008, specifically it contained the LNK exploit found in Stuxnet in 2010. Fanny is classified as a worm that affects certain Windows operating systems and attempts to spread laterally via network connection or USB storage. Kapaski stated that they suspect that the equation group has been around longer than Stuxnet based on the recorded compile time of Fanny. Now we get into the link to Irate Monk. If Secure claims that the Equation Group's malicious hard drive firmware is TAO Program Irate Monk, one of the items from the NSA ANT catalogue exposed in a 2013 De Spiegel article. Irate Monk provides the attacker with an ability to have their software application persistently installed on desktop and laptop computers, despite the disk being formatted, its data erased or the operating system reinstalled. It infects the hard drive firmware, which in turn adds instructions to the disk's master boot. Boot record that causes the software to install each time the computer is booted up. It is capable of infecting certain hard drives from Seagate, Store, Western Digital, Samsung, IBM, Macron Technology, and Toshiba. In August of 2016, a hacking group calling itself the Shadow Brokers announced that it had stolen malware code from the Equation Group. Kapasky Lab noticed similarities between the stolen code and earlier known code from the Equation Group malware samples it had in its possession, including quirks unique to the Equation Group's way of implementing the RC6 encryption algorithm, and therefore concluded that this announcement is legitimate. The most recent dates of the stolen files are from June 2013, thus prompting Edward Snowden to speculate that a likely lockdown resulting from his leak of the NSA's global and domestic surveillance efforts stopped the shadow brokers' breach of the Inquasion Group. Exploits against Cisco Adaptive Security Appliances and Fortinet's firewalls were featured in some malware samples released by the shadow brokers. Extra Bacon, a simple network management protocol exploit against Cisco's ASA software, was a zero-day exploit as of the time of the announcement. Juniper also confirmed that its NetScreen firewalls were affected. The Eternal Blue exploit was used to conduct the damaging worldwide WannaCry ransomware attack. Now we're going to get into the speculations and theories on motive and identity. The first one is that it was an NSA insider. So James Bamford, along with Matt Sushi, speculated that an insider, probably, possibly, someone assigned to the NSA's highly sensitive Tailored Access Operations, or TAO, stole the hacking tools. In October of 2016, the Washington Post reported that Harold T. Martin III, a former contractor for Booz Allen Hamilton, accused of stealing approximately 50 terabytes of data from the National Security Agency, NSA, was the lead suspect. The shadow brokers continued posting messages that were cryptographically signed and were interviewed by media while Martin was detained. Harold Thomas Martin III, born November of 1964, is an American computer scientist and former contractor for Booz Allen Hamilton, who pleaded guilty to illegally removing 50 terabytes of data from the National Security Agency. The United States government reportedly failed to note or effectively respond to a number of issues with Martin's security practices and behaviors over a period of 10 to 20 years. The motive for the crime has been a subject of debate. Investigators reportedly had difficulty determining if Martin was engaged in conventional espionage or digital hoarding, since throughout his decades of work he appeared not to have ever accessed any of the files once he removed them from government facilities. Now, Martin earned a bachelor's degree in economics and math from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1989 and commissioned as a surface warfare officer in the US Navy upon graduation. He served in the Navy from 1987 until 2000, deploying to the Gulf during Operation Desert Storm. During the latter part of his military service, he transferred to a part-time role in the Navy Reserve, which was when he first received access to classified data. Upon leaving the military, Martin remained in the DC metro area, continuing his education with a master's degree in information systems from George Mason University in 2004 and maintaining his security clearance working for government contractors including Computer Sciences Corporation and Tenicity Solutions. He was later hired by defence staffing giant Booz Allen Hamilton, tasked to the National Security Agency from 2012 to 2015, during which time he worked with the elite Tailored Access Operations Unit, Albit. In a support capacity. In 2015, while still a contractor for Booz Allen, Martin moved to the Pentagon's Office of Acquisition Technology and Logistics, AT&L, working at a Department of Defense facility in Alexandria, Virginia, up until his arrest in 2016. At the time of his arrest, Martin was pursuing a Doctor of Computer Science degree from the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. His research area was Virtual Interfaces for Exploration of Hurtagonius and Cloud Computing Architectures, Roy Rada, a retired professor at UMBC who mentored Martin early in his doctoral research, told the New York Times that Martin had been very interested in post-traumatic stress disorder and how to diagnose it quickly using eye tracking. Rada reported that Martin believed that he had many of the symptoms of PTSD, possibly as a result of his service in the Gulf, and sought funding from military health agencies to carry out a major research project on PTSD diagnoses, though his proposals were not funded. The New York Times described Martin as an introverted loner, citing a former colleague's description of a man with a sort of Walter Mitty complex, which drove him to engage in fantasism and grandiose delusions. The source recounted that Martin once travelled to Georgia to purchase a retired police car, still equipped with a spotlight and other overt police equipment, saying he always just wanted to be important. He always thought of himself like a James Bond-type person, wanting to save the world from computer evil, said another. According to the Times, though, outwardly introverted online Martin feigned a militant confidence about the future of cyber warfare, writing, The battles ahead will require a special breed of warrior, end quote. Of his work, he wrote, It's really a calling and something that individual has to want to do as a profession due to the sacrifices required to be top flight in this new electronic version of The Great Game, end quote. While attempting to trace the source of the shadow brokers leak in the summer of 2016, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI, was alerted by the NSA to an internet post made by Martin, who allegedly communicated via the Twitter account at hal underscore 999999999. Martin used Twitter to contact Kaparsky Lab, a Russian cybersecurity firm, which in turn alerted the National Security Agency. The FBI originally believed Martin to be the source of the shadow broker thefts of NSA hacking tools and used the information provided by Kaparsky researchers to execute a search warrant on Martin's modest residence in suburban Glen Burnie, Maryland, deploying a SWAT team, setting up roadblocks, breaking down the front door with a battering ram, and deploying flashbangs inside the house before removing Martin at gunpoint. Instead, the FBI and Maryland State Police reported discovering over 50 terabytes of classified data within the residence in an unlocked shed and within Martin's personal vehicle. According to the prosecution's indictment, Martin stole materials from the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, United States Cyber Command, the Department of Defense, and the National Reconnaissance Office. According to prosecutors, there was no evidence that Martin ever actually accessed any of the files he stole. Martin reportedly stole the information simply by walking out of his various secure workplaces with it in his possession. Prosecutors stated that the stolen classified information included the names of covert intelligence officers. Martin was then charged by the United States Department of Justice with willful retention of national defense information. Martin entered a plea of not guilty. In an October 2016 hearing at the United States District Court for the District of Maryland, Magistrate Judge A. David Copperthite sided with the prosecution in agreeing that Martin was a flight risk and would not be released pending trial. The FBI's failure to provide Martin with a Miranda warning prior to questioning by the SWAT team led to the U.S. District Court Judge Richard Bennett rendering many of Martin's statements and as inadmissible. Martin's defense attorneys argued that he suffered from mental health issues of which his hoarding was a symptom. Martin agreed to plead guilty in December of 2017. This was scheduled to occur on January 22nd of 2018. Martin instead pled not guilty. According to the court's memorandum opinion dated December 3rd of 2018, Martin's trial date was scheduled for June 17th of 2019. On March 17th of 2019, Martin agreed to plead guilty to willful retention of national defense information, 18 U.S. Code 793. The agreement ultimately called for nine years in prison, three years super release and a fine of up to $250,000, which represent the maximum punishment recommended for that crime under federal sentencing guidelines. On July 19th of 2019, Martin was sentenced to nine years in prison. At sentencing, Martin apologised before Judge Bennett and said he recognised that taking the data was wrong. Bennett remarked that the case has given me great pause but agreed to impose a nine-year term negotiated between the parties with three years subtracted for time already served. As of May 2021, Martin is housed at Federal Medical Center Devon's, a facility for federal inmates with ongoing long-term physical or mental health treatment needs located in Devon's, Massachusetts. Martin has been married three times, divorced twice, one of his previous wives, Elizabeth Martin, is a former Maryland police officer who runs a polygraph firm in Australia. Despite being estranged, she casts doubt on the idea that he intended to commit espionage, saying he was very patriotic. Now we're going to get into who Booz Allen Hamilton is. So Booz Allen Hamilton Holding Corporation, and formerly Booz Allen, is the parent of Booz Allen Hamilton Incorporated, an American management and information technology consulting firm headquartered in McLean, Virginia in Greater Washington DC, with 80 other offices around the globe. The company's stated core business is to provide consulting analysis and engineering services to public and private sector organisations and nonprofits. Now we're going to get into the beginnings and post-war era. So, the company that was to become Booz Allen was founded in 1914 in Everston, Illinois, when Northwestern University graduate Edwin G. Booz founded the Business Research Service. The service was based on Booz's theory that companies would be more successful if they could call on someone outside their own organizations for expert impartial advice. Booz's service attracted a number of clients such as Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company, Chicago's Union Stockyards and Transit Company, and the Connecticut Canadian Pacific Railway. During the following three decades, the company went through a number of name changes and business models, eventually settling to Booz Fry Allen & Hamilton, named after their partnership in 1936. Before Fry's departure in 1942, the company's name was changed again to Booz Allen Hamilton. In general, the post-war era saw a shift in the company's client pool, with many contracts coming from governmental installations and different branches of the armed forces. Edwin G. Booz died in 1951. The company received its first international contract two years later in 1953 to help reorganize land ownership records for the newly established Philippines government. The partnership was dissolved in 1962, and the company was registered as a private corporation. In 1998, Booz Allen Hamilton developed a strategy for the IRS to reshuffle its 100,000 employees into units focused on particular taxpayer categories. Now we get into the 21st century. So Bloomberg named it the world's most profitable spy organization, according to an Information Week piece from 2002. Booz Allen had more than 1,000 former intelligence officers on its staff, according to its own website. The company employs more than 10,000 personnel who have cleared TC, sorry, who have cleared TS/SCI background checks. In 2008, the commercial arm of Booz Allen split off to form Booz & Company. In 2013, Booz & Company was acquired by PWC and renamed as Strategy &. Since then, Booz Allen has re-entered commercial markets. In 2010, Booz Allen went public with an initial public offering of 14 million shares at $17 per share. In 2012, Booz Allen purchased the Defence Systems Engineering and Support Division of ARINC adding approximately 1,000 new employees to its roster. In 2014, Booz Allen acquired Epidemico. In 2015, Booz Allen acquired the software development division of the Charleston SC technology firm SPARC. In 2017, Booz Allen acquired EGov Holdings. And in 2018, the SEC awarded Booz Allen and Atten a $2.5 billion contract to modernise how the SEC purchases IT services. In February of 2020, the company became the SEC's major provider of cybersecurity services by securing a 10-year contract worth $113 million. The company was awarded $4.4 billion in US federal obligations in fiscal year 2020. Booz Allen Hamilton has, however, faced criticism and coverage for its close ties with leaders of both major American political parties and their donations to them, as well as its long-time alliances with the militaries and surveillance entities of nations abroad. Now we're going to get into the many controversies and leaks from this company. So, the first off is Swift. In 2006, at the request of the Article 29 Working Party, an advisory group to the European Commission, the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU, and Privacy International, PI, investigated the US government's Swift surveillance program and Booz Allen's role therein. The ACLU and PI filed a memo at the end of their investigation, which called into question the ethics and legality of a government contractor, in this case, Booz Allen acting as auditors of a government program when the contractor is heavily involved with those same agencies on other contracts. The basic statement was that a conflict of interest may exist, which I agree with. Beyond that, the implication was also made that Booz Allen may be complicit in a program, Electronic Surveillance of SWIFT, that may be deemed illegal by the European Commission. And then we go to the Homeland Security scandal. A June 28th, 2007 article in the Washington Post related how a United States Department of Homeland Security contract with Booz Allen increased from $2 million to more than $70 million through two no-bid contracts, one occurring after the DHS's legal office had advised DHS not to continue the contract until after a review. A Government Accountability Office, GAO, report on the contract characterized it as not well-planned and lacking any measure for assuring valuable work to be completed. According to the article, in a rush to meet congressional mandates to establish the Information Analysis and Infrastructure Protection Officers, agency officials routinely waived rules designed to protect taxpayer money. As the project progressed, the department became so dependent on Booz Allen that it lost the flexibility for a time to seek out other contractors or hire federal employees who might do the job for less. Elaine Duke, the department's chief procurement officer, acknowledged her problems with the Booz Allen contract, but said those matters have been resolved. She defended a decision to issue a second no-bid contract in 2005 as necessary to keep an essential intelligence operation running until a competition could be held then we have the 2011 Anonymous hack. On July 11th of 2011, the group Anonymous, as part of its Operation Anti-Sec, hacked into Booz Allen's servers, extracting emails and non-salted passwords for the, from the US military. This information and a complete dump of the database were placed in a file shared on the Pirate Bay. Despite Anonymous claims that 90,000 emails were released, the Associated Press counted only 67,000 unique emails, of which only 53,000 were military addresses. The remainder of the addresses came from educational institutions and defense contractors. Anonymous also said that it accessed four gigabytes of Booz Allen source code and deleted those four gigabytes. According to a statement by the group, quote, we infiltrated a server on their network that basically had no security measures in place, end quote. Anonymous accused Booz Allen of working with H.B. Gary Farrell by creating a project for the manipulation of social media. Anonymous also accused Booz Allen of participating in intelligence gathering and surveillance programs of the U.S. federal government and, as stated by Kukul Bora of the International Business Times, possible illegal activities." Booz Allen confirmed the intrusion on July 13th, but contradicted Anonymous's claims in saying that the attack never got past their own systems, meaning that information from the military should be secure. In August of that year, during a conference call with analysts, Ralph Schrader, the chairman and CEO, stated that, quote, the cost of remediation and other activities directly associated with the attack were not expected to have a material effect on our financial results, end quote. Then we come to the PRISM media leak. In June 2013, Edward Snowden, at the time a Booz Allen employee, contracted to projects of the National Security Agency, publicly disclosed details of classified mass surveillance and data collection programs, including PRISM. The alleged leaks are said to rank among the most significant breaches in the history of the NSA and led to considerable concern worldwide. Booz Allen condemned Snowden's leak of the existence of PRISM as shocking and a grave violation of the code of conduct and core values of our firm. The company fired Snowden and. Censure shortly after and stated he had been an employee for less than three months at the time. Market analysts considered the incident embarrassing but unlikely to cause enduring commercial damage. Booz Allen stated that it would work with authorities and clients to investigate the leak. Charles Riley of CNN Money said that Booz Allen was scrambling to distance itself from Snowden. According to Reuters, a source with detailed knowledge on the matter stated that Booz Allen's hiring screeners detected possible discrepancies in Snowden's resume regarding his education, since some details did not check out precisely but decided to hire him anyway. Reuters stated that the element which triggered those concerns or the manner in which Snowden satisfied the concerns were not known. On July 10th of 2013, the United States Air Force stated that it cleared Booz Allen of wrongdoing regarding the Snowden case. Then we come to the political contributions. In 2013, David Sonorta of Saloon said that Booz Allen and parent company, the Carlyle Group, make significant political contributions to the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, as well as individual politicians, including Barack Obama and John McCain. Sorota concluded that many of the politicians now publicly defending the surveillance state and slamming whistleblowers like Snowden have taken huge sums of money from those two firms, referring to Booz Allen and Carlisle, and that the political parties are bankrolled by these firms. According to MapLight, a company that tracked campaign donations, Booz Allen gave a total of just over $87,000 to US lawmakers from 2007 to June of 2013. According to CNBC, these contributions resulted in a steady stream of government contracts which puts Booz Allen in privileged positions. Due to the company's important government services, the government is unlikely to let the company go out of business, it's too connected to fail. Furthermore, the influence Booz Allen carries in Washington isn't restricted to donations, but to a large network of lobbyists and political insiders. According to government watchdog Open Secrets, four out of six Booz Allen Hamilton lobbyists in twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen have previously held government jobs. Then we have activities in foreign countries. Booz Allen helped the government of the United Arab Emirates create an equivalent of the National Security Agency for that country. According to David E. Sanger and Nicole Perlroth of the New York Times, one Arab official familiar with that effort said that they are teaching everything, data mining, web surveillance, all sorts of digital intelligence collection. In 2013, Sanger and Perlroth said that the company profits handsomely from its worldwide expansion. Booz Allen has particularly come under scrutiny for its ties to the government of Saudi Arabia and the support it provides to the Saudi Armed Forces. Alongside competitors McKinsey & Company and Boston Consulting Group, Booz Allen is seen as important factors in Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's drive to consolidate power in the kingdom. On the military side, Booz Allen is employing dozens of retired American military personnel to train and advise the Royal Saudi Navy and provide logistics for the Saudi Army, but denies its expertise as used by Saudi Arabia in the the war against Yemen. Additionally, it also entered an agreement with the Saudi government that involves the protection and cybersecurity of government ministries, with experts arguing that these defensive manoeuvres could easily be used to target dissidents. David Sinatra of Saloon said that politicians in the United States who received financing from Booz Allen and other firms with a similar multinational business model have vested interest in denigrating the democratic protest movements that challenge midi surveillance states that make those donors big money too. Then we have the theory on ties to Russia. Now, Edward Snowden stated on Twitter on August 16th of 2016 that "...circumstantial evidence and conventional wisdom indicates Russian responsibility, and that the leak is likely a warning that someone can prove responsibility for any attacks that originated from this malware server, summarising that it looks like somebody's sending a message that an escalation in the attribution game could get messy fast." The New York Times put the incident in the context of the Democratic National Committee's cyber-attacks and hacking of the Batista emails. As US intelligence agencies were contemplating counter-attacks, the Shadow Brokers' code release was to be seen as a warning. Retaliate for the DNC, and there are a lot more secrets from the hackings of the State Department, the White House and the Pentagon that might be spilled as well. One senior official compared it to the scene in The Godfather where the head of a favourite horse is left in a bed as a warning. In 2019, David Itell, a computer scientist formerly employed by the NSA, summarized the situation with, I don't know if anybody knows other than the Russians, and we don't even know if it is the Russians. We don't know at this point. Anything could be true. Then we come to the Chinese theory that they might be the shadow brokers. In cyberspace, China is currently regarded as the biggest threat to the United States. Therefore, it is logical to analyze whether the shadow brokers could come from China. More evidence points to a negative answer. Most importantly, in 2015, Barack Obama came into office and he took a strong stance against Chinese hacking activities. Once he threatened the Chinese president Xi Jinping with sanctions in response to the Chinese hacking of the US Office of Personal Management, they agreed on a deal that China would stop the hacking of American companies and in interest for its industrial benefit, and for 18 months during the time the shadow brokers were posting, there was a significant drop in the Chinese hacking. Of course, that could mean that China could take cover under the name of a previously unknown hacking group, but there is another evidence that may point otherwise. The Chinese-affiliated hacking group APT31 was already in possession of a clone of the NSA's exploit EPME with a Windows zero-day bug for four years before the shadow brokers released it. It wouldn't make any sense for APT31 to release the exploit at all because it would be more valuable for them to store it in secrecy so they can utilise it whenever possible. Once released, the exploits are shortly fixed by the targeted companies, therefore there is no reason other than money and upsetting the owner of the cyber tools to leak them. China is currently among the richest nations in the world and its cyber criminal activities play a negligible, if any, role in that fact. Therefore, putting that much effort into a very uncertain source of profit doesn't seem like a sufficiently sensible motive for a Chinese APT. There is also the fact that during the time of the Shadow Brokers activity, China acted in accordance with the agreements with the United States. This theory could only be disproved if we presume that the Chinese APTs act in their country's interests. Therefore, one would not hurt China another with its actions in this context the shadow brokers wouldn't exploit vulnerable assets to another group nevertheless we don't know if other cyber groups cooperate at all moreover china could always create an unknown apt to circumvent the agreements for example therefore the chances would be about even with the chinese theory if there weren't even more evidence connecting the hackers to another state which will be talked about as we get further into who the shadow brokers might be then we come to the North Korean theory. What connects the hacker group with North Korea is the WannaCry ransomware attack. The Lazarus group, which was involved in the Sony Pictures hack and stole $81 million from Bangladesh's central bank in 2016, was also accused of creating the WannaCry ransomware. Two reputable security firms, Kaspersky and Cymatic, stated that the technical details within an early version of the WannaCry code demonstrate similarities with the previous activity of the Lazarus group. Furthermore, the company stated that the WannaCry exploits were drawn from the Shadow. Brokers' cachet of exploits. Nevertheless, this case only proves that the hoarding of vulnerabilities by governmental agencies is a problem. Even though there is a link between the Lazarus Group and the Shadow Brokers, ergo between the Shadow Brokers and North Korea, they are probably two different hacker groups. The Lazarus Group was not acting carefully enough and was caught. The Shadow Brokers are likely another, a more sophisticated hacker group from which the Lazarus Group bought the materials for their hacking agents. Then we come to the Russian theory. During the time of the Shadow Brokers leaks, many experts debated whether the group could be a Russian APT. The relations between the US and Russia at the time would aid this theory. Russia was accused by the US government of being responsible for hacking the servers of the Democratic National Committee and the Shadow Brokers started releasing shortly after the DNC and a security firm CrowdStrike pointed their fingers at Russia. To add to the tensions regarding the presidential elections and Putin's influence campaign, in one of their messages, a hacker group addressed Donald Trump. They claimed to have been his supporters but were losing faith in him and his actions including an increased US involvement in Syria. Intensifying the US engagement in war where Russia supports the opposite side is logically something a Russian APT wouldn't like. However, the shadow brokers aren't any typical APT or a typical hacker. Even though Russia would probably like to make the NSA seem incompetent, and Edward Snowden also mentioned the Shadow Brokers possibly being a part of a new cyber cold war, there is more evidence disproving of this theory, however. Firstly, if the Shadow Brokers were a Russian APT, the tools they stole would be of more use if kept secret and not sold online. Furthermore, Russia already has prominent hacker groups such as Cozy Bear and Fancy Bear. Unless it was an avoidance strategy or a way to undermine the US or the Western countries, it would be bizarre if one of the Russian hacker groups sold information valuable to them, Then we come to the American Insider Theory. The first evidence supporting the American Insider Theory is a linguistic analysis which was done on the messages the Shadow Brokers posted. All of them are written in bad English, although the spelling is entirely correct according to the study. The text includes grammatical errors and idioms that a low-skilled English speaker probably wouldn't know. The linguistic analysis concludes that someone is intentionally inserting errors and the author is a native English speaker who's writing purposely to sound like a foreigner. The Shadow Brokers refer to this topic in one of their messages where they claim to write in bad English on purpose. Furthermore, there are many thoughts on politics, relationships, and events, including several politicians mentioned in the messages. Therefore, the author needs to know and follow American politics very thoroughly. A normal government-supported APT probably wouldn't have known or wouldn't talk about their specific political opinions to hide the ideological link to their supervisors. On top of that, there are multiple cultural references of American nature, such as the ones already mentioned in the article, meaning that the author is someone well-versed in American culture. To finish the argument based on the analysis of the messages, In the tenth message, they not only acknowledge that their English is bad by intent, but they also suggest they are indeed Americans. From the cyber perspective, there is more evidence supporting this theory. Former NSA employee, who wished to stay anonymous, claims that he and his colleagues believe there was no hack, nor is there a group. He says that some of the stolen files and scripts were only accessible internally, they were stored on a physically separated network that is not connected to the internet at all, and there is no reason for these data to be on a server someone could hack. A cybersecurity expert, Matt Sushi, was doing an in-depth analysis on the Shadow Brokers, and he backed this claim by finding out that the stolen toolkit is indeed stored on a physically segregated network without internet access and with some of the scripts it doesn't make sense to have them on a staging server because they are only used for setting up a workstation pre-operation. So until someone did a mistake or someone purposely put them on a staging server, they could not have been stolen. He also stated that according to the file hierarchy and the unchanged file naming, it seems like the files were directly copied from the source. The shadow brokers also revealed the name of one cyber expert who used to work for Tau, while he claims that, his, that only his closest family and his co-worker knew of his actual job. The hacker group also mentioned the names of the different projects or files he was working with, which are classified and were not included in the stolen data. Moreover, in the 12th message posted on Steemit, the shadow brokers are claiming to know the equation group has Humnet inside Microsoft and other US technology companies. That, of course, can only be an assumption, but it is information an insider would only no. The most important fact that supports the insider theory, however, is that the NSA itself suspected an insider behind the leaks based on two arrests that went down after the leaks went online. After the first group's post, the FBI got a search warrant to search the home of Harold T. Martin III, who I spoke about before, an NSA contractor working through Booze, the same organization Snowden was working for, and found terabytes of stolen material. It is presented that there is no evidence that Martin leaked anything from the stolen data to the shadow brokers, but the timeframe here is very suspicious. There was also another arrest of a Tao employee, and I'm going to butcher this name, Ning-Hia hong Fo, was sentenced to prison for willful retention of classified material, same as Harold T. Martin. Part of his hearing was classified for national security reason, and since it's not possible to compare the stolen data to those leaked by the shadow brokers, the possibility of a link between them cannot be eliminated. Furthermore, the director of the NSA, Michael S. Rogers, sent a letter to the court regarding the trial of, and I'm going to butcher this name, Ning-Hia hong Fo, a French Cyber expert analysed this letter and speculated that there are some indications that the data might have included class exploits such as Eternal and the Fuzzbunch framework that links it to the Shadow Brokers. Finally, there is one minor but interesting thing in support of this theory. Matsushi claims there is a great gaming culture inside the Tau group, and the name The Shadow Brokers most probably comes from a game called Mass Effect, where the character stands for an enigmatic figure at the head of an expansive organization which trades in information, always selling to the highest bidder, which fits the modus operandi The Shadow Brokers started with. Therefore, it is possible that the group or the hacker could be an insider of Tau. These are of course only speculations, though supported by circumstantial evidence, and on top of that there is one thing that comes to mind when questioning this theory. The NSA's candidates must certainly undergo very demanding personal and psychological tests, so how could someone who was accepted to this organisation share the ideas that the shadow brokers promote? An answer to that question might lie in the ninth message the group has posted on Steemit. There they claim to have been part of the so-called deep state, which according to a conspiracy theory is a group of people within the American government that includes an National security bureaucrats who secretly collect information and use it to manipulate the actions of elected officials. President Trump often accused them of working against him. In the message, the shadow brokers also claimed that most of their members have taken the oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. But they had a change in their heart once they saw how the deep state really works. If we decide to trust their statement, then maybe we have a similar case to that of Snowden, he also successfully underwent all the different NSA entry tests but he decided to leak the classified information once he saw how the organization works. The Shadow Brokers have been silent for a long time now, is it because they ran out of material to sell or do they have more and are waiting for something? Another possibility concerning the last theory is that the NSA has already caught the insider and the information just didn't get to the media because Tao is reserving its reputation. Maybe the Shadow Brokers will re-emerge again and prove the entire theory wrong. After surprising the world, the Shadow Brokers suddenly went silent in July of 2017. To this day, no one is sure who they are, why they were releasing the stolen materials, and if they'll ever post again. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, Bitchute, Daily Motion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host and this has been the Unanswered Questions podcast. Until next time. Next on Unanswered Questions. Robert Moore, 13, and Benjamin Moore, 10, died of gunshot wounds to their heads in Ogma, Wisconsin on August 30th of 1993. Their father found their bodies on a recreational trail about one mile from the Moore house.